It was interesting that Bryant uh, shared the what he did for our uh, communion devotion because the message today, Life in the Trenches is our, is our series, but the message today is why is it so hard to do the right thing? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why it's so hard for you to do the right thing. And I want to preface it by saying, have you ever seen a pigeon walk? They walk funny, don't they? They walk a little bit, they stick their neck, their neck out this way, then they walk, and then they stick it back this way, and then they walk, and then they do that. You ever wonder why they do that? <laughs> Every time their head moves back or forward, as they take a step, they're readjusting uh, their focus. They're readjusting their focus. And in our spiritual walks with, with God, we can oftentimes have the same problem that a pigeon has. We lose focus. And so I want you today, from the book of Romans, chapter 7, I want you today to be able to determine why you do what you do and then how we can correct it. So if you have your Bibles, let's hold them up, or electronic devices with your Bible, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God, having my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I look over at your neighbor and just say, wow. And we're going to let you try to figure out what that wow means, okay? <laughs> So what I want to do today is I'm going to go verse by verse. Beginning in chapter 7, I'm going to be in uh, verses 14 through 25. And we're going to go verse by verse. And uh, we're going to try to determine what's going on here. Why is it that we don't do the right thing? Let's start at verse 14. The law is good then. Apostle Paul's writing. Trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. Now, when I began to get this sermon together, I usually read it in several versions, King James. I always read it in King James, because that's, as according to most people, that's God's Bible. Amen. Okay, let's get past that and move on to that. <laughs> so, and I also read it in other versions. I, I tend to end up back at the New Living Translation just because I need it a little more simple. Because this is a section of Scripture that when you read it in certain versions, you, you just go, whoa, what did he say? So I'm hoping that today we'll, we'll get you a little clearer. But I'm sold to slavery. Sin is my master. So he's saying the law is good. The law was given to man by... The Spirit of God. The Greek word that's used for spirit is the same word that we use for the very name of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was interesting in my study. Paul quickly discovers a problem, however, and that discovery leads him to a series of confessions. Confession's good for the soul. Heard that one? Now, one of the things I want you to to, to know ahead of time as we launch into this and march through these scriptures is that 
What I'm going to say to you at the first part of this message does not give you a license to continue to act and behave the way you act and behave. Even though you may conclude, oh, well, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to make it anyway. It's, it's built within me and I can't stop. Because <laughs> you've got to finish the sermon, okay? So let's finish the sermon. But in the last part of verse 14 and 15, it says this, The trouble is not with the law, but with, what Paul say? Me. Because I am sold into slavery. Sin is my master. Verse 15, I don't understand myself at all, for I really, I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. So confession number one is, he's a slave and sin is his master. He's recognizing that he is controlled by a sinful nature. He makes three points about being a slave to sin. This sinful life is described here, carnal and fleshly in other translations, is defined as a helpless, unceasing struggle. And you need to know that up front. You and I have an unceasing struggle every day with this body and this flesh. Would you say amen to that? It's every day. I wish it weren't every day. I wish we got a break. Good luck. Because when you think you're getting a break, it comes on us. Verse 15, he says, I don't understand myself at all. Ever felt that way? <laughs> a person who is a slave to sin finds himself doing things he can't understand. And why is he doing them? He's fighting and struggling. And before he knows it, he's sinned and coming up short in the sin is upon him before he even recognizes that it's there and he's falling short of God's glory and God's will for his life. Also in verse 15 he says, For I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Paul's saying that in his everyday life, he wants to do what's right. He wants to be pleasing to God. He wants to be conformed to the image of Christ but despite his desire and his expectations, before he knew it, he found himself coming short of God's glory and God's will. How many of you can say, Amen, brother? There's times when we just, we want to do good. We want to do what's right. And something keeps getting in our way and tripping us up. Also in verse 15, he says, Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. Paul hates sin. He hated coming short of God's glory. He struggles against failing and displeasing God. He hates everything that hurts and cuts the heart of God. But no matter how much he hates that sin and struggles against coming short, he still finds himself failing. Boy, this is such a timely message for me. I hope it is for you. There's times when you just literally beat yourself up, isn't it? Because you think, man, there's just nothing good in me at all. Every time I try to do something right, I do something wrong. Every time I try to speak, I speak the wrong words. Every time I... Any of you understand what I'm saying? Verse 16. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. 
So in other words, that sinful life, that carnal fleshly life demonstrates that human nature and knowledge are inadequate. Because see, the problem we run into is that we try on our own power to correct the problem. You want to raise your hand on that one? (laughs) By golly, I'm strong enough, big enough, honorary enough, wealthy enough, have enough influence. Why, by golly, I can get this handled. All you've got to get is an illness that can't be cured. And I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much influence you have. I don't care how much you think you're almighty and powerful and influential. Because the disease could care less. It's just going to eat you up. So wouldn't it be better to have a relationship with Christ where you don't have to worry about that? Where you lean on Him? I used to love to sing that song, Lean on me when you're not strong. I don't think that's a Christian song, but it sure, it sure is in my heart. You've got to lean on Jesus. But when we do it on our own strength, our own knowledge, and I've met people, they're so smart, they're stupid. You ever met them? <laughs> don't point fingers. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> and no matter how much a person tries to please God and to be conformed to the image of Christ, they come up short. The law tells him that in spite of his efforts to please God, he's short, he's not acceptable to God. When I say the law, I'm talking about the Word of God. The Word of God will cause you to realize how short you really are. That's why we have to live on the Word of God. Jesus said uh, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, use his word to help you through these times. On the outside, our own flesh, we struggle because we need a Savior. Inside our flesh we struggle. Outside our flesh we struggle because we need a Savior. We need someone who can forgive sin and give eternal life. And when a sinful, carnal, fleshly man sins, the law points out the sin. That's why people don't want to read the Word of God. That's why they don't want to go to a church that preaches the Word of God. Because then they don't have to deal with sin. If you don't have to deal with sin, you don't have to deal with God. You don't have to deal with God, you don't have to deal with Jesus. And if I don't have to deal with Jesus, I don't have to deal with salvation. We're all saved. Carlton Pearson said it well. Everybody's going to get to go no matter what you believe. He said, and, and Rob Bell, Rob Bell, very influential young preacher, had to leave his church up in the Chicago area. Big church. Why? Because he went to an all-inclusive doctrine. And the people in the church said, you've lost your mind. <laughs> Rob Bell said, everybody comes to Jesus. Even if you're a Buddhist, you use Buddha to get to Jesus. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) It's crazy, folks. That's how the flesh works. It's how the flesh can deceive. Verse 17, But I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. 
So Paul concludes that man has a sinful, depraved, and corrupt nature. What causes Paul to believe that? A man who was a genuine believer, he didn't want to sin. He actually willed not to sin, but he found himself not keeping from sinning. Why? Because of the sin inside of him. No matter what resources he used, no matter how he willed in his life, there is a law of sin within the flesh that pulls and tugs us to sin. It is a daily battle. A daily grind. Everyone who's overcome an addiction will tell you it's a daily battle. Most of the time you're not battling, it's when you're asleep. And then sometimes you can't sleep because of the battles raging on. True? The very law of sin that causes man to die, to age, to face corruption, is that very law of sin that's, that's found in each of us. We were not created. We were not created with the seed of corruption. But sin, Adam and Eve's sin, launched corruption. Launched that sin thread that runs through every, every believer, every Christian, every person. But I'm going to tell you the good news here in a few minutes. I'm going to tell you the good news. In verses 18 through 20, Paul gives us his second confession. He is void of any good thing. He says, I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. Now, now pick up on that. As far as my sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. Verse 19, when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if, I'm doing, if I am doing what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. A lot of people stop right there and say, well, there you go, preacher. When I pick up that beer bottle and take a drink, when I get those drugs and take them, when I can't control myself sexually and I go out and sleep with men, other men, other women, other than my husband or wife, it's just sin that's inside of me that's leading me to do it. I can't stop it. And then how most people justify it? Sure it is. Sure it is. Sure it is. Well, I know I've got this habit, but, you know, it's a habit, and I can't stop it. I can't, I can't stop it. Really? You can't stop it? You're right. You can't stop it. <laughs> There's no lack of desire to do good, and I've and I found that in most people. But try as they may... <clears throat> They can do wrong anyway. But his statement in verse 19 and 20 is the same as we have mentioned earlier. There is nothing good within him, even though he tries and tries and tries. He is being held in spiritual bondage. Which leads us to confession number three. He finds two laws or forces within himself. Pick it up at verse 21. It seems... To be a fact of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. 22, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's, a, there's another law at work within me that is a war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin 
that is still within me. As soon as Paul wills to do good, he is immediately confronted by the law of evil in verse 21 and the law of sin in verse 23. I'm going to do this and it's a good thing. Pow! Here comes the battle. Remember the old cartoon illustration of the devil on one shoulder and angel on the other? I think there's a lot of truth to that. But it's not an angel, it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's sitting over there and he's what the Bible calls pricking us. Pricking us. It's like when you did something wrong when you were a kid and you saw your parent, especially your mother, you were pricked in the heart about what you did wrong and you knew you shouldn't have done it because just seeing your mom made you feel bad. Amen? And then if you kept doing it, you knew what the outcome was going to be. She's going to whoop you right fast. Got you on that too. But it's all about seeing it, right? So when the devil, when that battle rises, you as a believer have an opportunity to tell the Holy Spirit, you take over. And if you're memorizing the Word, and you're involved in the Word of God, and you're deepening your relationship with God, guess what? You're going to have the power to overcome. You're going to have the power to overcome. But if you never deepen the walk, if you never memorize Scripture, if you never learn any of that stuff, what happens? You fall. You come up short of the glory. How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Because you're not deepening that walk. That law of the inner man, that law of the mind, is that divine battle that's going on. The confession of Paul tells a lot. It says the law of sin wars against the law of his mind to captivate him, to enslave him. Have you ever gotten to the point where you're battling something spiritually and you just can't get your mind off of it? Now, who is that? It's the spirit of Satan. You claim the victory through the blood of Jesus. And you tell him to get out. Even if you have to yell and scream at him. Say, get out. Devil, you ain't going to win today. I remember when Marlene Resitz was dying of cancer. I'd go see her at, the, at her house to pray with her. And, and you know, and, and you always go in trying to bring some words of comfort, right? And I'm always, I leave there more encouraged than I ever brought, I think. But I would sit down with her and she'd look at me and she'd say, when is he going to leave me alone? I didn't know who the he was until she defined it. She said, Harold, the devil is not going to win. Now, this is a, this is a person that the cancer was attacking her spine and moving up toward her, her brain. The pain, I can't imagine the pain that she felt. But she said, he is not going to win. <laughs> That's the kind of person I want to fight in the trenches with. How about you? You see, and you and I aren't even battling cancer of the spine, are we? We just got no spine. <laughs> we need to stand and stand with God. Confession number four in verse 24, he talks about how desperate he is, how wretched he is. He's a man in need of a deliverer. Look what he says in 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin? By the way, in some of these points, I've given you other scriptures to look at. That's for your homework. What? Homework? I came to church. I don't want homework. 
do a little study. It won't hurt you at all. If you read a few scriptures this week, between now and next Sunday, blow the dust off your Bible. Wasn't that classic Wednesday night when that old boy was talking about his Bible he was using? That old boy blew off that dust. It's an old Bible. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? There's a sense in this verse that every man is a walking civil war. Amen? Every person has the ability to see what's good, but is unable to do it. They can see what's wrong, but they're unable to keep from doing it. But there is no believer, no matter how advanced in holiness, who cannot understand what Paul's talking about here. That bondage, that power of sin within the very nature of man, even within the believer, that at times appears we can't totally resist it. And I will agree that the struggle is real. I will agree that the struggle is acute. I will agree that the struggle is for my very soul. If we will understand the struggle that way, then we'll be much quicker to grab hold of the blood of Christ at the cross and let Him fight the battle. Because the battle's already been won. Amen? I just got to lean on Him. Lean on me. Yeah? Now you'll see, you'll, you'll be singing that all week long. That's okay. That's all right. When the devil shows up, you start singing, Lean on me when you're not strong. And not only will I be your friend, but I'll be your Savior. <laughs> Just like Jeff said last week, Jesus has your back. He does. When you call, guess who's going to show up? He's going to be there. He's going to be there. Oh. <sighs> We know what's right. We groan under the weight of sin of being short of God's glory and failing to be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul aches to walk in humility and meekness and to be filled with the fruit of love, joy, and peace. But day by day he finds the force of sin reasserting its power. Struggles and struggles against it, he tells us. He finds he can't Find the power to free himself. When he describes himself as, Oh, wretched man that I am. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Oh, wretched man that I am. So when you look in the mirror, you realize how weak you really are. Martin Luther said of the conflict between flesh and spirit, he said, It continues in us so long as we live in some, in some more and others less, according as the one... Or the other principle is the stronger. Yet, the whole man is both flesh and spirit and contends with himself until he's completely spiritual. Here's the great news. The battle will always be there. The rage will go on. The struggle will always be there day in and day out. Your body will always be tempted. You will be brought... Uh, to a point of decision every day. But the answer is confession number five in, in verse 25. 
our deliverer arrives. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has delivered me from this body of sin and death. Amen. So when it comes down to it, Jesus will deliver us in two ways. He's the deliverer Himself. He's our Lord. He's the deliverer from sin. He alone delivers from sin and does it in two ways. He justifies us as believers. And then secondly, He places us under God's grace. So when you mess up, and we inevitably do, do we not? We'll say things out of turn. We'll we'll have a thought we shouldn't have. We may even do an action we shouldn't do. Are we lost? Thanks be to God that 1 John 1, 9 says, If I'll confess my sin to Him, help me finish it. He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from uh, just a few. (laughs) The good news, he says, from all unrighteousness. Amen? From all unrighteousness. So that's what's important to remember. Paul concludes that every believer serves the law of God with his mind. But when that mind is renewed, you serve him in a different way. The believer who truly knows that his deliverance is through Christ our Lord learns something. He learns that the mind is transformed and renewed in Jesus. And through Christ, you can control that decision. Through Christ, you have the ability to say no to sin, yes to God's Spirit. You'll struggle with allegiance. You'll struggle with focus. But the great news is, with a renewed mind, with a renewed heart, you can conquer it all through the blood of Jesus Christ who saves us from this body of sin and death. That's what He said. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the washroom of his London club, British newspaper publisher and politician William Beverbrook happened to meet Edward Heath. Heath was a young member of Parliament about whom Beverbrook had printed an insulting editorial a few days earlier. My dear chap, said the publisher, embarrassed as he met him, I've been thinking it over and I was wrong. Here and now I wish to apologize. Well, very well, said Heath. But the next time I wish you'd insult me in the washroom and apologize in the newspaper. Forgiveness between people isn't perfect. In fact, it's often a very messy process. That can leave both sides hurting. A young boy 
used to lay on the floor at the feet of his mother looking up as she would do embroidery work. And he would comment from time to time how he'd say, Mom, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm embroidering. And he'd say, well, Mom, from my viewpoint, it looks pretty messy down here. And she said, well, in just a little bit, I'll have you sit on my lap and I'll show you how it looks like from my view. And so she'd do a few more stitches and he, he would still watch and look at the blacks covering the blues and the yellows and all intertwining and stacking over each other and would say, Mom, it's just a mess down here. She said, well, I'm ready for you to set up on my lap. So she, he would set up on her lap and then she'd say, close your eyes and he would. She'd turn the work over and he'd, she'd say, now look. And he would and he'd say, Mom, that's beautiful. And she said, well, what you couldn't see, I had a pattern stamped on the top. And as I followed the pattern, though it looked messy underneath, it looked better on this side. And when you and I face life and we look up to heaven, all we might see is some messy yarn and thread. Life just might be messy. But when we get to heaven, God will put his arm around us and he'll say, hey, come over here and let me, let me show you. Let me show you. Because what we saw was messy and didn't seem like it fit and didn't seem like it was going to work at all. God said, here's how it works. And he'll show how the beauty of his hand watched us through our whole life. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a Savior like that. My life gets messy. It gets real messy. But one thing I know is that if you'll call out to God, you'll come to Him in repentance. He'll show you how pretty life can be. How orderly life can be. And when it looks as messy as it can on your side, He'll show you His side. I want to offer an invitation. I have our elders up here at the front. And they're up here for one reason, not to intimidate you, but to pray for you. I'm praying, I'm praying for you, that you will lower your threshold of pride, that you will allow Jesus to touch you. And you will come and you'll fall on your knees right here and just call out to God. Because it's important that we learn to be humble and come before God's throne and call out to God because we need to repent of our sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Is He your Lord today? Are you ready to let Jesus penetrate and show you what it looks like from His perspective. God, I'm praying today as we sing this song that You will do a mighty work in these people in this room. God, we need to fall on our knees before You. We need to cry out in repentance. We need to make sure
that you know that we mean business. Too often, too often, we try to run the show. Too often, we try to make you fit into our schedule. To make you fit into our mold. When just the opposite should be happening. There are people in this room that have needs and they need to humble themselves and call out to you. And God, there is something powerful about going forward in a church and falling on your knees and crying out to God. And Father, there are people here who will come and pray. Or we can remain prideful. We can remain unmovable. We can remain in charge and wonder why we keep struggling and do the things that we don't want to do. God, would you do a movement today in these people in Jesus' name?